0: shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park, LivingstonManorNY.com,
1: and from listeners like you. Welcome to the Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, Zoe Comes Home. It's a new play that was written by Melissa Bell going to have its premiere at the Tustin Theater in Narrowsburg next Friday Patricio Rabio spoke to the folks involved that conversation coming up in the second half of the program but first it's what we always do in the first half of the program here on a Wednesday evening we check in with Liam Mayo with the River Reporter Liam thank you for joining us once again hi Jason thanks for having me back Doing our weekly Wednesday weekly news roundup from River Reporter, and I think we're going to start by talking talking about this uh, uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court of Appeals dismissed the PA-led challenge to the ban on Frank fracking in the Delaware River Basin. It's a story. We've been following. Um, so why, why did the coalition on the PA side even challenge the ban? They're the ones that brought this challenge. What were they, what were they looking for? What standing do they think they had? And what actually happened?
2: So the coalition on the PA side was a couple of different bodies. It was, uh, state senators Gene Law and Lisa Baker, uh, Pennsylvania State Senate Republican Caucus and Damascus Township over in Wayne County. And, uh, there were a couple of different categories of standing that they claimed they had. There were the legislators who said our powers to legislate have been taken away by this regional ban on fracking in the Delaware River Basin. And there were the municipalities that said um, our property rights have been taken away by this ban that prevents us from benefiting from our property in terms of fracking. And the um court of appeals throughout, uh, the challenge on both of those, um on both of those grounds. Uh, against the legislators, it basically said any kind of legislative injuries like that has to be against all legislators. It was only a few legislators who were claiming that they are injuries or that they were injured by this ban. And it would sort of have to be all of them agreeing that, no, their powers had been taken away in order to um, claim, like, grievance for the institution. And for the municipalities, it was because, well, the damages from the ban being in place were pretty hypothetical. Like, there wasn't a provable case where um, there was X amount of money lost because of this ban, or there was X amount of um damages caused because of this ban.
1: And you know, if if they had, if if that if property owners were allowed to say their rights are being infringed upon because there's environmental regulation on their property, that would mean no property owner would ever have to follow an environmental regulation. exactly.
2: Um that's definitely a good take on it. Um I think the claims that there could be damages were important because if there had been damage or if the court allowed that there were damages, then the case would have standing as I understood it. And then they would get to the question of arguing like whether the ban was actually proper to put in place or not. So by them not having standing or not having damages, it never even got to that point. Um, There was uh, an article um, on the website natural gas now from local land consultant Tom Shepstone, um, where he claimed that like this isn't the end of the road for the legal case and that because it was thrown out based on standing, a landowner who did have a like provable loss from the ban could then bring it based on standing. But even then, I think it would still have to get into the question of. Did the Delaware River Basin have the authority to impose this ban, which if you you need to prove that you have standing, and then you would need to get into that sort of more complicated, more broad reaching question
1: yeah, yeah, okay, well uh, moving on uh, and do you know uh, the Tustin Energy Committee is spearheading a proposal to move the Tustin horse to a Cornell Cooperative Extension facility in liberty that 's just down the road from us literally that 's our neighbors there um let's remind people i had forgotten about this horse it's written in capital letters what's what's the horse and why are they moving it um
2: it's not an actual horse sadly enough the town of tustin does not own a horse um but it is uh the high solids organic waste recycling system with electrical output which can be mangled to spell the initials horse and it's a food scrap recycler essentially it's a, it it's takes a in, wait a
1: minute but you know a real horse could be considered a food scrap recycler too i think
2: that's true i imagine <laughs> that's why they uh i imagine that's why they uh created the name in the first don't place. don't um, take
1: my word for it because i i've never owned a horse and i've never had to feed a horse so don't <laughs> don't take my advice on what to feed your horse
2: yes i i imagine they eat a lot of hay um that's better for but them. this yeah. horse eats uh, basically whatever comes in from surrounding uh, businesses it eats food scraps and it produces both fertilizer and a small amount of electricity and the town of Tustin energy committee got the department of Environmental conservation grants to acquire this horse I believe in 2021 um, but it isn't like operating full-time or it isn't it doesn't have enough food from just the surrounding businesses to fully sort of sustain it or to support a full-time operator. So the Tustin Energy Committee is partnering with the Cornell Cooperative Extension and this uh, nonprofit called Growing Soul um, to set up a whole food security pilot project in Liberty. And that'll include stuff like a kitchen garden run by the CCE's horticulture program, a commercial kitchen for uh, food production and a community cupboard to sort of get food out to the community.
1: All right, so this so move it, dovetails nicely with projects and initiatives uh, of the kind that the the Cornell Cooperative Extension's been engaged in already. So that that's a very uh, that's good synergy.
2: Exactly. It closes the loop so to speak. Um, there are already plans in place for the growing of the food and the making of the food. And now all the waste from that food production can go into the horse, get turned into food fertilizer, and circle back around and get thrown on the garden, and the whole cycle can begin again.
1: Okay, and in the final few minutes that we have here, can you give us an update on on this news about missing children? There's there's three missing children in our area the past few days?
2: Yeah, um, so there's this organization, Hope Alive 845, that keeps tabs on uh Missing persons cases and helps solve missing persons cases, and there were three reported incidents: uh, one in Liberty and one over in Roundout Valley, and or two over in Roundout Valley. Uh, Louisa Cambos, uh age 14, was last seen Monday, September 26, in Liberty. Uh, Diana St. Hilary and Zachary Hull were last seen Tuesday, September 27, on Roundout Valley High School grounds. Um, also, both. 14. So if anyone knows where they are or has any information about that, uh, the Hope Alive 845 has a tip line at 845-866-0442. And um, hopefully these missing persons cases can be closed pretty quickly so it doesn't become news.
1: Yeah. um, Let's let's just give that phone number two more times in case uh, anybody wants to write it down right now.
2: Absolutely. That's, 845-866-0442, 845-866-0442, that's 845-866-0442, and Hope Alive 845 also has a Facebook page where they have a lot of this information
1: as well. Okay, well Liam, I want to thank you for going over this news with us, and I know you'll keep an eye on, on developments in all of these stories, and let us know Will you be back with us next week. Absolutely. Okay, and people can hear you before then uh, doing our headlines, uh, weekly news, uh, weekend news, right here on Radio Catskill. Liam Mayo from The River Reporter, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Liam Mayo will be back next week. So will uh, James B. Huntington. He's not actually in this week. We won't be doing WorkShift Live as usual. We have another story coming right up. This is Radio Catskill. This week in This American Life. Ilya's family escaped Ukraine, got to safety. And then his parents made what
2: seems from the outside anyway to be an incredibly unlikely choice. They decided to move the family back to their home in Mariupol, a city decimated by bombing, now occupied by the Russians. He says, I want to go and I don't want to go. What happens when they get there this week?
3: Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. Music from a Musician's Perspective. I'm Kathy Geary, and on Now and Then we explore the artistry of the singer songwriter. Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local.
1: This is Local Edition. Zoe comes home as a new play written by Melissa Bell, directed by Lori Guzda, and will have its premiere at the Tustin Theater, Narrowsburg, next weekend. Zoe arrives home for a rare visit, finds her strange mother, Gloria, once a respected sculptress, creating monuments from discarded objects in her backyard, distressing the new neighbor. Radio Catskill's Patricia Robayo got a chance to speak to the director, Lori Guzda, and writer, Melissa Bell, and one of the actors of the play, Thomas Cambridge. On what it took to make this play happen at the Tustin Theater.
3: Okay, hi, I'm Melissa Bell. I'm the playwright of Zoe Comes Home. I, I live in Damascus mostly, and I'm also in New York City quite as frequently.
4: Hi, I'm Lori Guzda. I am the director for the show. Uh, I am also an actor and a writer and an artist. And very excited. I, I fell in love with this play the first time we did a read-through. I think it's a beautiful show, and the cast is just exceptional.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, hi. Thank you, Patricio. I'm Thomas Cambridge, and um, I'm an actor and a writer, among other things. And uh, I live in Coshecton, New York. Yeah. I play Randall Joffrey.
5: Melissa, let's talk about the themes of this play. It's, uh, it's a dark comedy about depression, backyard junk, and art. Uh, let's talk about. How the themes tell the story of Zoe comes home.
3: I I really wanted to explore the depression, which is kind of a strange theme to explore. That was the impetus, and I started with one scene and a character, and um, it it's this character I really started falling in love with the two characters, Gloria the mother and Zoe the daughter, and there was a lot of uh, tension in there, and and uh, and I started thinking about a background for the mother who is really suffering from quite acute depression and anxiety, and then um, building a story around her, and that was what attracted um, the DVAA, Matt Carpenter at the DBAA to the project was this idea of depression and. There's a lot of it going around. the creative people are often subject to depression quite a bit. They're sensitive and sometimes something will, you know, criticism of their work or just not being able to connect because of their work, they suffer from depression. And then, you know, we've been able to find the humor in it as well. Uh,
5: Thomas, you're originally from Texas, but you became a Wall Street executive. And in 2013, you... You changed, you decided to become an actor and wanted to change the trajectory of your life. Why did you want to do that?
0: Ironically, it probably had something to do with depression. <laughs> I was depressed with my old career and I, I, I was burnt out essentially. I'd done that for 25 years and, and I left without a real plan. And it took me about two years to decide what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, that was to become an actor. I'd always been one, but, uh, you know, actually do it in earnest. And, um, so I did that and I, uh, joined the, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade actually as a student, not a, not as a full-time performer. And I went through their improv program. I, I had the time. So I did the fast track and finished it in about eight months. I studied with a couple of other, uh, acting coaches in New York City. And, uh, after two years of training, I declared myself ready for auditioning, and um, I got my first job about two weeks after that on the Investigation Discovery Channel, and that kicked off my career playing detectives and psychopaths. <laughs> yes, it's, that's crime reenactment. It was started out more as the detectives, and, you know, when they could see that I could play dark characters, uh, I, I definitely got more of those roles. Um, and I would say that, you know, when Zoe Comes Home, my character, Randall Joffrey, May have a little bit of a dark side to him, at least a nasty side. Laurie,
5: you're the director for this play. Can you tell us how you took those themes of the play, took the book that Melissa wrote, and you know brought this play to life, but still have sort of your stamp on it as a, as a director?
4: Well, I will say working with Melissa, working with with everybody on, on this, on this production has just been one of, one of those really great experiences where the planets align and everybody is just in sync. So working with Melissa has been such a joy in, in, in breathing life into this. So my background is, is very heavily into comedy. You know, and comedy. You know, life. There, it, comedy is just the other side of the coin. It's you know, it's drama or comedy. So you could take any situation, how you respond to it. So I think in uh, working together this way, I mean, first of all, we're we're daughters. We're you know, we're mothers and daughters. That mother and daughter relationship is so significant to females, and uh, I I really loved that whole element of it. But the the ele- the part about the artist and who gets to judge what's art, who's to say what's good or what's not, you know, basically, if you if you take the time to make it, you have the right to your opinion of it and how how cruel people can be. And and whether you're being an art critic or just a, a cruel person, how words can cut and deeply impact somebody's life, which then subsequently, you know, involves everybody else in their life. So I think we all need to be mindful of our words and um, as as bridges and not as weapons and how to create something special. If you don't like it, you know, don't like it, but you don't have to, um, you know, why is your opinion more valuable than somebody else's? And the relationship of women, period, mothers and daughters, friends, whatever, is such a, such a strong, powerful force that uh, I think that is what's really important, and how women have been discounted as artists, as you know, as equal citizens. So I think that's another element that really attracted me
5: to the project. Yeah, that relationship between mother and daughter, and the daughter coming home and finding the mother in in a depression, and because of that depression, she's. Uh, I, what I what I gather is she's become a hoarder of sorts, and but she, the mother, is using that hoarding, using that collecting, and making art out of that
3: has repressed it over the years and so she is she and she is a hoarder and and she's depression has resulted in her not being able to sort of let go of things when you're depressed it's like you can't let go of those things that are circling around in your head and so her physical environment begins to reflect this and, and this is what a director actually does is takes my words of that I'm trying to express and really creates the whole environment of the show and, and has a vision for the show, which is often different than the playwright. What, what has become in this play is we are taking this depression that this woman is suffering and, and putting it out there on stage. Her daughter comes home and discovers that Her daughter has been estranged from her and only comes and visits. And after two months, she comes home and suddenly sees that there's this buildup of of items that are like recycled and are found and are being like put on display all over her mother's yard and sort of has to discover why. That's the impetus then as to what is going on in her mother's life and what has gone on in her mother's life. That has created this chasm between them and between our mother and reality.
4: I'd also like to add that any artist who works in mixed media has collected garbage galore, that there are pieces of things that are so interesting and unique and you look at, it and it's like, I'm going to make something out of this. And you save this stuff and it starts to accumulate till you get to a point of like, I have to get rid of this stuff or make something. And so the art project, the community tapestry project that we have in conjunction with this is very representative to artists that, that, that can respond to that. And if you look at the pieces that have been contributed, which will ultimately be part of the set, you know, it's really interesting what you can make out of recycled, repurposed, reused things that are overlooked, uh, underappreciated, much like Gloria in the play as
5: an artist. Let's talk about that production for Zoe Comes Home, the play's opening in Tustin Theater in Narrowsburg. October 7th and October 8th and the play said is about backyard art about this this hoarding and Gloria has created artwork out of it so how is that artwork displayed who is making those that artwork uh, is it is it a mix of production or the or have you commissioned some artists to help you out
4: it, it's a community art project but it's also been production has contributed. It's, it's a combination of a lot of contributions that, that will ultimately lead to what you will see on the stage. But we also have one particular artist who made one significant piece. Melissa, can you speak to that?
3: Yes. We have Ace Thomas, who does a lot of work with Farm Arts Collective and is a wonderful, just a great guy and a great artist. And he has made a piece that is very important to the climax of the story. It's a, it's a special piece, and it really does uh, provide a cathartic moment in the play.
5: Thomas, you play Randall Jeffrey, an art critic, who, I guess, from what I gather, without giving too much away, uh, comes to sort of look at Gloria's artwork. Can you sort of explain how do you, in the play, discover Gloria?
0: So there are, yeah, the, the other three characters are all family members. There's Gloria and Zoe, and then there's Fred, who's the cousin, a very funny deadpan. Um, And then there's Randall, the outsider, and who just happens to live next door. And he's, um, you know, he's slowly been moving into the neighborhood and has finally arrived. And uh, now he comes next door. And um, let's just say there's uh, some trouble gets stirred up. He, he's not going for what he sees or smells.
4: <laughs> well said, Thomas.
0: <laughs> uh, Laurie, how was
5: the sort of the experience of putting all this together um, and being, you know, uh, debuting it at the Tonson locally uh, for some of us here, uh, working with the DVA and, and that whole experience of bringing, you know, Melissa's words to life?
4: So again, like I said, this has really been such a uh, joyful project, Uh having professional actors that, you know, know what's required of them. You know, we didn't have a long rehearsal period. So the time we do have together, you know, everybody was prepared walking in. And, you know, as the director, I certainly had an idea of what I wanted, but, you know, I didn't want to be locked into it. I want, you know, we wanted to grow together and that's what's happened. And we've explored uh several, you know, several avenues on how we could take different people. Pieces of this, and it was very clear when we landed on something that that was the right direction. So it's been a very organic process, uh, a professional process, and a trusting process. That I, I, again, I, I'm I'm honored to be working with this group of people, and the work that they're doing is really stellar performances. So you can drive to New York to go see a great show, or you could drive to the Tustin C- Theater and see a great show.
5: Yeah, it just, just shows the, the wealth of talent that we have here in the Sullivan Catskills. And you have places like the DVAA that are really showcases the, that talent that we have here.
4: Yes, and, and very grateful to the DVAA for, for making this possible. Uh, you know, I think that what they do for the arts in the community is, is just extraordinary.
3: Can I just say they made the theater available to us so we could actually workshop it in the theater which has been a real joy and it's just the sweetest jewel box of a theater I think it's very comfortable for the audience it's not crowded at all like it's a high ceiling so so you feel very spacious you don't feel like you're caught in a like a tiny little box you know it's spacious the theater the stage is just right and I think when people come they're just going to have a really nice time you know it's going to be they're really going to enjoy it.
4: Yeah there is a warmth and an intimacy to that theater but you know it's also it's, you know, it's, it's not that small I mean it's a, it's a good sized theater but the stage is beautiful it's a great space to work in
0: The stage is not looking so beautiful right now because it's getting full <laughs> of all kinds of things I'll just say that okay it's junk It's a,
4: it's a set <laughs>
0: it is a set it's a a very full set Uh,
5: before we go everyone is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about Uh, Melissa let's start with you
3: well I was just going to add that we had so much visual talent in the area that that was why I really felt like we needed to reach out to the visual artists in the area as well I've enjoyed so many art shows at the DVAA, and it's really helped me to build my social network here. And so, um, and that's a big part of a creative life is to feel like you have a home and a place where you know you can really um, reach out to other creative people and um, and and just really start to connect. And so that is what the DVA has you know brings to our life. It's it's what Calicoon and all the other artists, art organizations around here do and, and connect us. And that's why I'm I'm so happy to be um at the Tustin. It it, it the minute I saw it, I wanted to be in that theater. Uh
0: Thomas? Well, I just uh I wanna express my gratitude to the DVAA as well. You know, I've done some last year I had a couple of things uh in the Big Eddie Film Festival. And uh you know I've gotten to work uh with Ariel Scheinberg on and some of the other staff members but this is my first time at the Tustin Theater and really it's Melissa and Laurie who gave me that opportunity so I'm really excited to take the stage in 2 weeks. Yay! <laughs> Laurie.
4: Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, uh, again, thanks to the DBAA and Ariel, and for you know being so generous with time and space. I'd also like to thank Matt Carpenter, who really instigated this whole project and brought us all together in the first place. And I also want to tell people that again, I really, especially mothers and daughters, to come see this show. And what what really excites me about it? I mean, I, I, who you know, can you have too much laughter in your life? So I love the humor in this play, but when you're also able to address some really deep issues in life and do it with humor, I mean, there are times you'll laugh and then you you'll be uncomfortable for laughing. It's like, gee, guess that's not really funny, but it is. And if you can laugh at it, that's the first step to to working through it, healing, building bridges. So I think this, I think this play really has so much going on in such a short time that uh, it's going to leave you thinking and and talking about things with your friends.
5: Right. And that's what the signs of good art is to start those conversations. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you're having this conversation, especially, you know, a relationship between a mother and daughter and you seeing what time apart does to folks. And, and especially you add that dynamic of being a mother and a daughter
0: and patricio also just like it would not be a complete interview if we didn't give a shout out to the rest of the cast mates which is susan mendoza scott porter and jess beverage it's an honor to work with them as well
4: yes and amber schmidt our stage manager director and matt miller who is our sound lighting person
5: zoe comes home a new play by melissa bell premieres friday october 7th and saturday october 8th at the tungsten theater both nights beginning at 7 we were talking to melissa bell the playwright for zoe comes home the director laurie guzda and the actor thomas cambridge thank you so much everyone for joining us on the local edition and letting us know about this great play
4: thank you so much patricio appreciate
1: it thank you
5: for radio catskill i'm patricio robaio
1: Thanks to Patricio for doing that story. Thank you for listening. This has been the local edition. I've been your host, Jason Dole. We'll be back tomorrow evening to do it all over again with a program about uh, local events. There's a lot happening in the area. Got fall oriented events benefiting local libraries, local historic event. And also uh, the farm fest happening in Jeffersonville. All those topics covered tomorrow night, right here on the local edition, starting at six thirty. This is Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. Stay tuned. We've got "Let's Talk Vets" coming up next.
2: There are things in your life that just don't change, like needing a cup of coffee to start the day, listening to Morning Edition, stopping by the farm stand, listening to Farm and Country, watching out for deer laughing along with wait wait don't tell me over the river through the woods you take us with you this is radio you rely on become a sound supporter give us the constant support we need to keep you connected donate now at wjffradio.org
0: wjff jeffersonville w233 a.h monticello
3: public radio for the catskills and northeast pennsylvania radio catskill radio catskill and catskill brewery present apple pie palooza saturday october 8th 5 to 9 p.m at catskill brewery and livingston manor eat pie win pie bring home pie enter the apple pie baking contest at wjffradio.org plus dancing in the tent with wjff's djs jason tuga nick forte and me cassie Apple Pie Palooza, October 8th, benefiting Radio Cat